So recording. So hello, everybody. Welcome to Rate Debate Recreate. I'm Sammy Purcell. And I'm Logan Keller. We're back for episode seven of season three, which is crazy. That's only like three more. (laughs) I know. Wow, that's crazy. Um, (laughs) Logan, you're an artist, right? (laughs) Some some might say. Um, have you ever had what you would describe as an artist struggle? Boy, do I ever. <laughs> I, I would venture to say that that has, like, prevented me from doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I have two, I have one, like, half-finished book, one, like, a quarter-finished book. Like, I, I feel like there are so many times where I just, like, get in my head about it, or I I want to scrap it, and I just can't mm-hmm. go back to it. Um so yeah, I definitely feel like I've ex- and then also like musical theater. There's a lot of yeah. I don't know. Obviously, it's really like mental, and as we'll talk about in both of our shows today, oh it's God. hard to disentangle your identity as an artist from like your identity period and mm-hmm. how those obviously they're related, but there are differences, and it's a big struggle. And that's why there's so much art about artists struggling. <laughs> I know, Mr. Steven Sondheim had something to say about that, which I will talk about. In a few minutes here, um, but that's a great answer. I <laughs> I guess I've also had an artist struggle, but I can't really think of any specifics. Like, I have never tried to write a book, so yeah. that's never happened. But I guess, like, you know, directing an original cast show, not to brag, yeah. it's an artist struggle, you know? It is. Are it is a, <laughs> it's a lot, and you have to put yourself into your art, and that's scary to, like, show to the world. I know. Let Casey shine. Yeah. All right. (laughs) No one's going to get that. All right. (laughs) The right people will. They will. They will. Okay. So if you have never listened to this show before, uh, on Bait to Bait Recreate. Random episode to start with. but I know. Very. (laughs) I mean, welcome. Like, come on. Let's go. Um, Two great shows, I would say. Like, very fun shows to start with. Um, But each week on this show, Logan and I each pick a musical based on a category We rate that show on a scale of 1 to 10. We debate which show is better. Then we think of one aspect that we would change and we recreate it, you know, using that term as loosely or as stringently as we choose. So um, each week we have a category, like I said, and this week that category is the artist's struggle. My show is, I think, maybe like one of the quintessential versions of this category Tick, Tick, Boom by Jonathan Larson. Ish. And my yeah. show, I think, is the other. I do too. <laughs> which I agree. Which is the chill version, which is yeah. a chorus line. Yes. Very, very good. Two really awesome shows. I'm really excited to talk about both of them. Me too. Um, should we just dive in? Just get started? Yeah, let's go into summaries. Okay. Also, I have a quick disclaimer for the pod. I had COVID a couple weeks ago, mm. and I still have. A little bit of that COVID cough, so we'll try to edit them out, but apologies if I'm coughing in your ear a few times this episode. (laughs) I will (laughs) do my best to edit them out. Um, I'm glad you're feeling better, though. That sucks. Yeah, I really am. It's awful. Anyway, Tick, Tick, Ba-Ba-Boom. So, Tick, Tick, Boom is a musical by Jonathan Larson. Ever heard of him? He is extremely famous. Um, He wrote Rent. Um, he died tragically, I think at the age of like 35 of a mm-hmm. brain aneurysm, like literally the day before. Yeah, the day before it opened, yeah. I think. Yeah, so it was like a tragic, horrible thing all around. Um, obviously, Rent's like a huge, huge, huge hit. Everyone loves it. It's like very important to me and everyone else I know. Um, but Tick, Tick, Boom um, was the show before Rent, and it kind of has a weird production history. So I'm going to go through that a little bit here just so I don't have to go through it later. Um, but it began as kind of a rock monologue. It was called 3090 and then later Boho Days, which those are two songs in the show mm-hmm. um, that Larson wrote and was kind of like a one man show at one point. Like basically he it was like a semi autobiographical work about a musical theater composer named John 
who was trying to figure out what his next project would be after a failed workshop of the musical Superbia, which was like based on his struggles trying to get Superbia stage. So it's like a musical about the next musical that he's going to write, but it is the musical that he wrote. Very meta. Um, and then he later, um, you know, made it into Tick, Tick, Boom, which was sort of like this one man show. Um, it would change really like a lot, I guess, like kind of based on where he was in his artist journey, you know, um, and it was written in res- like direct response to events in his life. So like there's a character named Susan who we'll get into and she would change like notably, like apparently, I mean, I've never seen this. It was in the 90s, but she would change a lot based on how his real relationship with his real girlfriend Ugh. named Janet was going. So at least he didn't name her Janet, I guess, yeah. but Apparently, Susan went through a the lot Jason of The Jason Robert Brown effect. I know. <laughs> Jesus. These, I mean, go off. Taylor Swift does it too, I guess. So, the audacity what? of these men composers <laughs> in musical theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, and apparently, this kind of makes me sad. Um, his friend, Larson's friend named Victoria Leacock Kaufman, who's a producer, she recalled that the work would become increasingly pessimistic, like the further along it went, basically. Like he just kept getting more frustrated and frustrated. And then it has like a kind of a weird production history. So after he died, um, the person I just mentioned, Victoria Leacock Hoffman and Robin Goodman, they recruited a playwright named David Auburn to take the solo piece and make it into a three-person musical, which is sort of how it lives today. It's two guys and a woman. Um, and they kind of restructured it in a way. So I guess like um, the superbia workshop plot is like basically their addition so in like the original one yeah so in the original one-man show like in all of larson's versions um he talks about the superbia workshop but it's like it's already taken place and when they made the show you like lead up to it and you actually get to see it and that made them get to include come to your senses which was written for superbia and was not included in, like, the original versions oh, of Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Which is great, because that's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, and this is where my little quip about Sondheim came up. So, um, basically, Sondheim was Larson's mentor, which we'll also get into a lot, because that's one of my favorite things about this whole thing. Um, but he originally criticized the original uh, Tick, Tick, Boom work, like, kind of rock monologue iteration of it because he thought the artist struggle storyline was too overdone <laughs> and he was like don't do this it's a bad idea I'm gonna, i have a quote about that, that i'm gonna talk about too <laughs> not from sometime but yeah the overdone um, part yeah so he was like it's overdone like don't do it and the kind of dramaturgical choices that the people who kind of reworked it after jonathan larson died they tried to it's still about that but they also tried to make it more about like having to grow up and, like, learn to make adult choices and, like, deal with the consequences of your choices, which I think they do succeed in doing. Um, And that original production ran off-Broadway in 2001, which is the Raul Esparza version, which is wonderful. And that's probably, Mm -hmm. like, was the most familiar one up until the movie came out last year, which is what I watched for this um, podcast. Yeah. So... That is kind of, I think I'm going to do that mostly for a summary because Tick, Tick, Boom itself is basically about Jonathan Larson is about to turn 30. He's freaking out because he's never had like a hit. He's trying to get this workshop stage. His girlfriend, Susan, wants to like, she's basically given up on the artist's life. She wants to move. She's trying to get him to come with her. His friend, Michael, is in the advertising world now. Um, And then later, notably, finds out that he's HIV positive um, which is sort of like a big turning point, I would say, for how John kind of approaches things in the musical. Um, but it's basically about, I think it really is about like learning to make adult choices, what it means to like be an artist, how you incorporate yourself like into the work. Um, and yeah. And the sacrifices. Yeah, the sacrifices too. And like, you know, a lot about luck, I think. Yeah. And- in a weird way. Anyway, it, we'll get all into that. It, it's, I really like this movie. I think I'll talk about some of the criticism. I'm going to give it a, a seven out of 10. Bo, 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 bos. Um, I really like this movie. I think it's not perfect. And there's definitely like things to talk about uh, critiquing it. 
And some people really hated it, which I, yeah. I kind of get, which I'll get to. Um, but I really liked it. I think it was like clearly made with a bunch of love. Lin-Manuel Miranda directed it. Um, you can tell that like all the people involved just like really care about Jonathan Larson's legacy. I think mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield is amazing. Like surprise. I mean, not surprised that he's good, but I was like, who knew that? I was surprised. I like, I've always, I love I'm, Andrew Garfield, but yes. I was surprised that he's no idea he could sing. Did. I was like, what the heck? And then when they start playing like the real footage of Jonathan Larson at the end, I was like, Ugh. oh my God. He's like, yeah, it's like him. a mirror like, image. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So that's all I'll say for now. I really, I really like this movie. I think it is very sweet and it makes me cry. So yeah. Cool. I'm going to give Tick, Tick, Boom 8 out of 10 bobos. I love this show. Mm-hmm. I love the film. I agree that Andrew Garfield slays it and excited to talk more about it. Um, so my show's a chorus line. I'll do a really quick summary. I think also a lot of people just know this show, but the chorus line basically tells the story of a group of Broadway dancers or I guess aspiring Broadway dancers that are auditioning for a spot in a chorus line. You don't get a ton of details about the show they're auditioning for. What's most important is just like the audition process itself mm-hmm. and the individual personalities that are all competing for a really limited number of spots. Um, and then fun fact about Course Line, it actually became the longest running Broadway production for quite a period of time and then eventually was surpassed by fucking Cats oh, ugh, fucking in 1997. Cats. But even today, it's still one of the longest running shows ever. I think it's the seventh. It holds like the seventh. Um, place for number of shows performed mm-hmm. um, consecutively. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about a chorus line. I'm going to. There's also a movie and the stage version. Yeah. Um, I Sorry. actually watched Michael both Douglas. for this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually watched both. Um, this was my first time seeing the stage version actually, um, and it gave me a totally new appreciation for the show. I'm gonna do two separate ratings: one for the movie and one for the stage. Um, I'm going to give the movie 7 out of 10, and I'm going to give the stage version 9 out of 10, tits 3. Yeah, I <laughs> I haven't seen the movie in so... <laughs> tits 3. I haven't <laughs> seen the movie in a really long time, but I remember just thinking it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I love a chorus line, that, like music, but I also mm-hmm. had never seen it, and it's so much about the dancing, so like that really changes it i'm gonna give yeah. it a 10 out of 10 i had wow. a really great time like i, I watched the 2006 that. one too like i just thought it was awesome it was so also, funny is this the first time sammy's given a 10 and i didn't oh my let's God, check possibly. the let's check the history we should, books we should get someone on our wikipedia page to figure that out someone track it <laughs> sherry um, she's our marketing manager <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I just thought it was awesome. Like, it's so energetic. It's so funny. And the audience of the one that um, we watched was, like, so into it. So that really Yeah, and too. I also, it makes me really wish that I could see the original because the revival didn't even really get, like, that good reviews. And I, I loved it. Me too. Um, so, yeah, I really w- I, like, wish I could have seen the energy and, like, star power of the original. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't know. I just, we can talk about it later, but I love yeah. a lot of stuff about it. Um, okay, let's get into a ticky ticky boom boom discussion. Um, so I wanted to start with this kind of film nerd out. I wanted to start with a letterbox review that I very much agree with about this movie. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it kind of sums up whenever someone criticizes it, this is, I'm kind of like, yeah, like you're right. I don't know what to say. Um, but it's from Chris File, who's, um, he's the host of a podcast called This Had Oscar Buzz. It's very good. Check it out if you want. Um, so I'm going to read this whole thing. But he basically said, I kind of understand any and all thoughts and opinions about this movie. It's thrilling, it's annoying, it's sometimes grimly shot and messy, it's sometimes alive in ways movie musicals seldom dare to be these days, which I think is true. I think people would be less forgiving of the lead character if it weren't for the real Larson's impact and legacy. I think it earns being cut some slack. It's an overbloated version of what should always be a chamber piece. It's admirably ambitious for what the text is. Bradley Whitford simultaneously crunchy and eerie as hell on time. <laughs> Personally, I'm happy to just be pleasantly surprised. Okay. So I sort of agree. Like, I think, like, I 100% any criticism, like, launched at this 
And yet I'm like, I still love it. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so I just wanted to read that because that is where I'm going to be coming from, from a lot of this discussion is like, yes, I'm going to say this is wrong, but also I, I don't really care. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start with some random thoughts and then I'm going to go into the movie itself. And then I wanted to like shout out one major critique that I think is probably like, especially if you don't know about Jonathan Larson, maybe a lot of people's like barrier to entry, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, So random thoughts. This music is so great. Like I don't, I know like obviously rent is great, but like this music is awesome. Like as soon as 3090 starts, I'm just like, Oh fuck. Yes. Let's go. Like this song rules. It gets you Um, pumped. Yeah. And then that being said, it is very, very depressing to me that like green green dress was cut <laughs> i know i love that song which have you have you seen like the, they filmed it so there's like a scene out there have you seen it yes yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, it's great i but i also sort of get why they did it which i'll talk about later um but also i wish they didn't so that's that um if i could give the whole why sequence a rating it would be a million out of ten mm-hmm. um, it makes me cry every time i'll talk about that later too um, I think Bradley Whitford Sondheim is so sweet and like puttery and cute. Like he's just so gentle and I really like it. Um, we already talked about how good Andrew Garfield is. Like, mm. I think he's just so good at finding points of empathy and the most annoying person you've ever met in your entire life. Like he's, cause he's so <laughs> earnest and like, but he's just so good at like making, like finding the parts of someone that make them human, even when they're like, so fucking annoying you can hardly say yeah because john is the character i don't know the real jonathan larson i didn't but like (laughs) the character of john can be quite annoying so yes i've also read some criticisms of the friendship between michael and john who michael is his friend who turns out to be hiv positive towards the end which obviously like clearly affects jonathan larson a lot right and i couldn't really find if that was you know, I couldn't tell if it was like based on a real friend or like a conglomeration of people that he knew, because um, that's like kind of what drove him to write Rent, right? Is like mm-hmm. watching all these people that he was friends with and like how the AIDS crisis was affecting them. Um, but Michael's favorite, Robin de Jesus, who I think is pretty good. Like yeah. I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff, but I like found him very charming and like they had sweet chemistry. I thought. Um, and I think I've, I've read a lot of critiques where they're like, John is such a shitty friend, like, da, 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 like, he doesn't. And I get that. But I also think, like, it's sort of a really good encapsulation of, like, what they tried to add into the story, which is, like, this is a childhood friendship. Like, they've known each other for so long. And, like, one of them has started to grow up a little faster than the other one, probably partly because they've had to. And yeah. then the other one has to catch up. And, like, it's yeah. not, like, necessarily, like, you're being... being- a shitty friend is kind of part of it. Yeah, like he's a he's, shitty partner he, too. And it's yeah. like, again, it's, it's him choosing his art over his like connections in life yeah. and for better or worse, but it's the yeah. truth of what like happens. I know. And I think like, it is like a, that is a part of growing up and that's like, the show is like kind of messy in a way. Cause also like Jonathan, we'll get to, I guess let's like move on to the movie because like, actually I'm going to talk about this later. Okay, so I think I'm going to talk about what I was just about to talk about a little later, just because, like, the effect Jonathan Larson, like, has on the show, you just, like, you can't separate it, but we're going to get to that later. Um, So I'm just going to talk about the movie now. Um, I think (laughs) no shots at Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't think he edited this either. I'm not sure who did, but he did direct it. There are parts of this movie that are edited, like, so nonsensically. Like, I have a lot of issues with sort of the way it's put together. It's like, they decided not to try, like, to go for good editing. They just went with, like, the most editing. Like, it's just, like, very choppy. And there are some interesting things. But for the most part, it's so frenetic that, like, I find myself losing where I am. Um, and that, I mostly have issues with that during some of the numbers and during, like, the parts that are taking place in the real world. Like, when it's on stage, I think it really works. Like, all the stuff yeah. with him and Joshua Henry and Vanessa Hudgens on stage, that all is really good. And I wish that, like, the stage was the placement for all of the songs. Like, sort of a mm. Chicago-esque kind of thing, but, like, a little yeah. more, like, stripped down. 
Um, I think that would have like grounded it more and maybe made it feel like less all over the place. Like the, and would have like made like a sense of like performance. Cause like he's performing his life. And I think it does a good job at most parts with that, like during therapy, when they're cutting back and forth between the fight and like them doing their kitschy little song on stage. Um, I really yeah, I like, love that part. but then they don't do that for every song. And there are two songs I want to shout out that they don't do that for, which are No More and Sunday. And they both take place in this weird fantasy land that, like, doesn't look real. Like, it's so CGI'd, kind of poorly, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's supposed to look real, so I assume that's all sort of on purpose. And, like, it's so... I have trouble with those numbers, because on the one hand, I think, like, that is where it's like the audacity, especially Sunday to have like all those people come in and have it be like, so I guess like for who hadn't seen it in Sunday, like every famous theater person you've ever seen in your life does a cameo. <laughs> literally literally like Bernadette Peters. there's like 30 or something. Yeah. Brian Sos Mitchell, uh, Philip um, everybody, everyone. And then like part of the original cast of Rent comes out at the end and I start crying. So, <laughs> um, but I sort of wish like stuff like that took place on a stage. It feels like discombobulated to me to have like this fake fantasy land and then like the stage happening. Like there's just too many mm -hmm. locations. I feel like, mm -hmm. um, and that brings me to why, which I think is like the best number on the show in the show, because First of all, it clearly takes place in a real place and the scenery behind him is real <laughs> and not CGI. <laughs> but like that is the point where like his real life and his performance like fuse. And I like the fact that it takes place like in the real world, but it's still a stage. Yeah. And I wish they would have like, I guess, made that more like differentiated throughout. Like all the musical numbers take place on the stage and then like his real life is like cut and interwoven in between with a little less crazy editing. And then like why takes place like in this grand stage in the real life. That would have been nice. And Andy shines in that scene. It is so good. I also already talked about, I think like you can just tell that the people who made this movie really love musical theater, love rent, love Jonathan Larson. Like it's just like oozing out of every performance. Um, and I think the framing device sort of helps with that, but I wanted to know, if you like that, because I think like, so what they do is they basically open it up and say like, this is Jonathan Larson. This is his story. Everything you're about to see is true, except for the parts Jonathan made up, which I like, ha ha ha. Um, and then they close it by being like, he died before Rent came out. Like, you know, Tick, Tick, Boom was the one he wrote after Superbia. And then he wrote Rent after Tick, Tick, Boom. And then he died before he ever got to see it. Um, and I feel like as a musical theater fan, you don't really need that. But I think it like, helps couch the major critique which i'm about to get to which is what i think people will have a barrier with is like the white obnoxious creative does that make mm. sense like it helps yeah. like couch and like this is a real person like we're not just making up the super annoying guy yeah no i think <laughs> i i think it it makes sense and um i i'm reminded of that critique or, or that you just read from letterbox where it said something along the lines of like it would be less forgiving or something if it wasn't yeah. Jonathan Larson. And I like, I agree with that. And listen, like, I know that I feel like, I feel like there's been me and maybe this is just like in my discourse that I've seen in my purview of the world or whatever, but I feel like there's been like somewhat of a renaissance in the last couple of years of like anti rent, anti Jonathan Larson discourse, yeah. um, which I totally understand like the criticisms and I still, I still like really admire all of his work, and I think he has put out some insanely like moving pieces. The guy can um, write some. Yeah, 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 truly. So I, I think I agree. It's important, and I, I like that it's not just like any artist. It's like it's more of a biopic than it is. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't call it a biopic, but yeah. it's like a lot closer to that than it is like this could be any artist because <laughs> yeah. I, I do agree. It doesn't really work if it's not someone that has made the impact and has the tragic story, you know, that Jonathan Larson did. 
I agree. And this, so another critic I really like, um, I enjoy reading him. His name is Robert Daniels. Um, he hated this movie. He said it was the most oh, really? insufferable film maybe ever, which Damn. is fair. Fine. Again, I'm like, okay, fair. Um, <laughs> but he, he kind of basically said what you just said. Like he was like, I have really little patience for this type of person. And he does go on to say like, you know, his life was his life. Like we can't like it you can't separate it from that. But like, if yeah. you were to show this to anyone and they didn't know who it was about and the movie didn't tell them, they'd be like, this guy is fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, maybe he hits like something on the head about like, it is possible that like, like I said, there's so much love like emanating from the people who made this. Like maybe it's possible they're too close to the subject. Like, I think there are. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Like there are points. Cause I mean like Lynn, like, is in this direct lineage. I was gonna say, like, like <laughs> yeah. I read something along the lines of, like, that Lynn, outside of how he did as a director, like, is he, like, I, I read an article or something that was something along the lines of, like, is he almost viewing himself in this oh. piece as, of, like, of the sound time to Larson, to Lynn, of, like, undeniably, regardless of what your thoughts on Lynn are, has changed the landscape yeah, of musical theater, sure. is, is one of the, like, up-and-coming, or already Not, has yeah. come but like has the similar like rise that Sondheim mm-hmm. and and Larson had like is he viewing himself too much in this movie yeah and I think and is like, that a bad thing I guess I don't know I think that it's mixed it's mixed and I I think like the points where it comes to the most is there are some conversations that like John and Michael have where like I'm not sure if Lynn because all Michael's really saying is like hey like I'm just trying to help you out, like, get you some money. Like, you don't, like, because the way, like, John kind of takes it is, like, you're trying to make me go to the dark side. Like, He's like, (laughs) no, I'm just trying to get you some money. I'm just trying to help you out so you can pay rent. Like, girl, you can't pay rent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think Lynn sort of, like, airs on the side, or the way it's, like, framed sort of airs on John's side in a lot of those arguments, like, being very precious about, like, no, I can't give up on my dream. Like, da-da-da. Whereas, like, Michael, like, has to deal with the reality of, like, everything that's going around Mm -hmm. him in a way that, like, Jonathan Larson, or it's not Jonathan Larson, but John can, like, kind of disassociate from until it hits him in the face, right? Um, But at the same time, like you said, it's just hard to, like, separate the fact that he, he died when he was 35 years old. So, like, I feel like watching any other 29 year old be like oh my god i'm running out of time i'm running out of time i'm running out of time would be annoying but he did mm-hmm. you know and like it's just like i i don't know i think that like it's probably true that like say jonathan larson didn't die like say he wrote rent it was a huge hit and i think it would have been a huge hit anyway it was probably yeah. bolstered a little bit by the fact that he you know it's a tragic story but like I think it would have been a huge hit anyway. Um, so he didn't die. He, like, wrote a bunch more stuff and, like, someone still decided to make this movie. It would be, like, vastly different, I think. Yeah. Like, it would... I don't think it would have this kind of, like, precious, like, oh, my God, I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to run out of time. Because the whole reason well, part that of that is hits, that, like, the audience is in on that. Like, yeah. you know <laughs> that he is actually running out yes. of time. And so, like, when people around him are like, calm down, or like, you're so young, like, you're in your head, you're like, no, he's right. Yeah, and it's a different, like, yeah. if he was still alive, because he wrote this when he was still young, honestly, yeah. and he felt like he was running out of time, and like, he was, but... But, we, but there's no way he could have known that. Known that. Exactly. There's no way, yeah. And so it's just, I think it's really, really difficult to separate, like what actually happened to him from like this guy's being annoying and like precious about his art or whatever. What, like, yeah. cause like his, his life was his life. Like that really happened to him. And I think, mm-hmm. again, I think the story, cause he still would have made tick, tick, boom if he was alive. And I think any adaptation of it would have been like vastly different if he was still alive. But... We probably would have gotten Tobey Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That would have been... Or Tom Holland. Really That's probably weird. more likely. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Tommy McGuire feels a little too old. <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine? Can Tom Holland sing? He can dance. He was he in Billy Elliot, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess Billy um, I don't know if he can sing or not. Yeah. <laughs> 
Tom Holland, give us a call. Let us know. <laughs> um, that's most of what I had to say. Um, I think the cast in this is really good. Alexandra mm-hmm. Ship is great. Power to Vanessa Hudgens. She's so good. Yeah. So is Joshua Henry. <laughs> I love Joshua Henry. Future Gaston. Disney's mm-hmm. trying to make me root for a villain. <laughs> so everyone's just great. I think like it's all lovely. And the other thing I want to say that I'm sure everyone knows is that uh, at the end of this show, Jonathan Larson is all down in the dumps because his agent, he has this conversation with his agent, Superbia, where she's like, oh, my God, it was so good. Everyone loved it. Like, start working on the next thing. And he's like, I just spent 10 years working on this. (laughs) The next thing, what do you mean? Um, And the thing that sort of, like, brings him back from that is he gets a little voicemail from Stephen Sondheim telling him that, like, it was really good. I had to, like, keep going. Like, you're going to be, you're going to do great things. And they couldn't get Bradley Whitford to do that. They had, like, added it in at the last minute, and they couldn't get Bradley Whitford back for some reason, conflicts mm. or whatever. So it's the real Stephen Sondheim on the voicemail. Oh, I didn't, you didn't know, know that. that. Yeah. No. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> it's really sweet. Um, but, yeah, that's all I really have to say. I think this is a great little, great little movie. I agree. I love the movie. I it honestly was a lot better than I expected it to Me be. Me too. Which maybe I'm, that's also like I went in with low expectations. But, yeah, yeah, I agree. I my hot take is that like I think that nine out of ten times a stage to movie is like worse. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I've never seen the stage version, so I can't okay. say definitively. But from my understanding of how the stage version goes, I would say it's at least on par with it. Like at the very least, it's like a a respect even if it's very different it's like a yeah. respectable i don't think it like makes the source material worse yeah um and maybe that's a great transition into a show who <laughs> 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 i do th- i don't think does that successfully <laughs> ah, great segue <laughs> um a chorus line so oh. i have a lot of thoughts um first of all i really love this show i I think uh, it's probably, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think it's probably one of the most iconic musicals. Oh, for um, sure. One of the most, one of the musicals that has entered, like, the outside of the musical theater bubble, but, like, bigger pop culture zeitgeist mm-hmm. um, in a really big way. Wikipedia, on when you look up musicals on Wikipedia, they always have a section that's like, this musical in pop culture, if it's mm-hmm. popular enough to have anything, and Chorus Lines is, like, two pages. It's like... <laughs> The Brady, but like it's just every kind of thing yeah. has referenced it. That's I think that's where we're coming from this with the show. I also think that much like Tick Tick Boom, it is I I might even say is like the quintessential show business musical. Probably definitely more popular, like show yeah, business yeah, yeah. for sure. And yeah. and also yeah. like I don't know if it's actually the first, um, but like one of the first that. I don't know. So, like, I I saw this quote. This is what I was saying that was related to what Sondheim had said that you said, you brought up. I saw this quote that said something along the lines of, um, if there were as many books about books as there are musicals about musicals, there wouldn't be enough shelves to fit them. And that's <laughs> so true. And I think that A Chorus Line is at least partly responsible for that. I think that lots of shows have tried to replicate the, like, raw reality of show business that's portrayed in the chorus line i think very few have done that successfully i honestly would put tick tick boom and a few others in the ranks yeah i I think that it's kind of like i don't know anytime you get into art about art or art about the creator of the art i think it can get a little self-aggrandizing and maybe even tick tick boom would be like that if we if again if jonathan larson hadn't died but like it is sort of, it is kind of like that anyway. The yeah, only one I can is. think of that's not is like, I don't think Sunday in the Park really is because like, mm-hmm. he's just so sad, even yeah. if, you know, and like no one appreciates him. Yes. Yeah, and, and I like, while you're rooting for George in Sunday in the Park, I think you're still like, I don't know, you, you see, I don't think it's positioning this as like the moral high ground like, George, in a way that a I think 10. a lot of art. You got a 10 on your arm and you're fucking yeah. it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that like, that's a tragic figure. Yeah. Um, anyways, so I think that that's like a really important angle to come in with. Some random thoughts I have about the show. Um, God, I fucking hate the director every time I see this. And I Richard know that's the point. I know you're supposed, no, 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 no sorry. <laughs> 
that <laughs> not of, the director uh, of the movie. Michael Douglas. <laughs> I don't even know his name, but the director oh, in A Chorus Line. His name is Zach. Zach. Uh, although I do have some Richard Attenborough tea okay. later in this. Oh no. <laughs> um, not not like crazy, but some criticism. But I fucking hate that character so much, which I know is the point. So like, yeah. If you hate them, I know their actors doing a good job, but he's just such a fucking prick, and I really don't like him. And I also really hate his dynamic with Cassie. Second, I would be so fucking pissed if I was auditioning and Cassie got picked over me. Like, oh, yeah. I I w- I do wish that the show kind of addressed that a little bit, like the other actresses, like being like, "What the? She wasn't even here for the original I audition." Know. She's she just like, walks in. Like, <laughs> for all they know, she's like fucking the director. Like, I know yeah. that's not the actual case, but they have a, a more complicated history than that. But like, basically, comes in late, doesn't actually do the original pre- preliminary auditions. Comes in and then, like, takes out, like, I mean, justice for Connie. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it felt, like, very, have you seen All That Jazz, like, the Bob Fosse movie? Because that's yeah, yeah. always the beginning of the movie, Chorus Line, especially, always reminds me of the beginning of um, All That Jazz when they have the audition. But it felt very Fosse, because he's fucking yeah. everyone, you know? So he's just mm-hmm. like, I know she's good. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> it does, yeah. I but, wonder if that's intentional or not. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't Um, know which one came out first, but maybe. Yeah, I don't either. Um, Okay, I think that the movie has, I'll talk more, but one, just one, like, thought I had when I was watching is, one thing I I think is different between them, actually, I'll just go ahead and talk about the movie and the film right now, or the stage versus the movie right now. Um, One of the biggest issues for me is I think there are a lot of pacing issues in the movie that I don't think exist in the stage version. Um, I definitely found myself getting bored, getting, like, they're, like, just moments where I don't feel like, I don't know, like like where the energy is just down. Mm-hmm. I do think that the movie has really amazing moments, and I, I still like the movie, but I just think it's objectively, like, it doesn't do the stage version justice the at all. The stage version moves so fast. like it's It so does, like, and it just yeah. is like, yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I really love that about it. I'm not a fan of, a, like, pretty much any of the changes that were made from stage mm-hmm. to movie, like, basically any of them. <laughs> like, how are you going to take out the music in the mirror like that? Like, yeah. that is a disgrace. It's one of the best That's songs right. in the show, in my yeah. opinion. They also give uh, another song to Cassie that is originally sung by um, Morales. What's her name? Diana Nat- Morales? Yeah, I want to say Natalie because that's the girl who plays her, but it's Diana, I um, think. I think it's Diana Morales. Yeah. Um, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, like... I, I don't think that the movie captures the, like, the artist struggle that is so beautifully captured on the stage. And I think part of it is because, like, when you're in the audience watching a chorus line on stage, I say as I've never been in an audience watching it, <laughs> but I've seen bootlegs. When you're watching it, like, I feel like you kind of feel like the director because yeah. that's their point of view. They're literally mm-hmm. auditioning on that stage itself. And it's just like, this voice. Like, yeah, it's out. just yeah. a, it's it's so much more nebulous and, mm-hmm. and less like, I don't know, you're more in it, I guess. So here's the Richard Attenborough tea. Um, so this is Kelly Bishop, who played Sheila in the original Broadway cast, criticized the movie a lot, but okay. especially had criticism for the director. Um, she, like, went on a talk show and said, she said, oh, no, so Richard Attenborough went on a talk show, and she was talking about what he said. So on the talk show, he said, this is a story about kids trying to break into show business. And her commenting on that, she said, I almost tossed my TV out of the window when I saw that. I mean, what an idiot. <laughs> it's about veteran dancers looking for one last job before it's too late for them to dance anymore. No wonder the film sucked. <laughs> What I, I, I do okay. I just she's more, right. I, I do think it's a fundamental misunderstanding. Yeah, and I think she's that, right. That translation to the movie is part of what gets lost from the stage version. So I think yeah. she's right. That being said, I still appreciate the movie for what it is. I'm glad we have a movie to watch. And one thing that the movie does really well is the dancing. Like the dancing oh is just as incredible yeah. as it is in the stage version. So I really appreciate that because if you had messed that up, like. <laughs> I wouldn't what be would we have? It. Nothing. <laughs> so another thing I love is that, like, the grand irony... I'm going to say this is an irony. Honestly, it might not even be an irony because I think it's the point of the show. 
But I think the ir- <coughs> excuse me, the irony is that we spend all this time like getting to know all of these individuals on this audition line, whatever. And at the end, like what matters the most is like removing any semblance mm-hmm. of individuality to create space for like a flawless group yeah. execution. And, like, I think that that's what the point of A Course Line is at its core. It's, like, sacrificing the desire for individual glory and, mm-hmm. and for, how, you know, like, being a star and working together to achieve something spectacular as a group. And I think that is, like, such a beautiful message. And I think something that we lose a lot mm-hmm. um, when when thinking about musical theater. And I know I'm so guilty of this when I talk about shows, like, I'll, I'll be like, oh my God, Sutton Foster, Patti Lapone, Audra <laughs> McDonald. And like, yeah. yes, they are all stars <laughs> in their own right. But like, what is, what, you know, who are they? What's Patti Lapone without the Anything Goes cast behind yeah. her? What's, yeah. you know, Sutton Foster without the Thoroughly Modern Millie, Shrek, the, you know, with <laughs> Shrek. Without Shrek? Without, who is Sutton Foster without Shrek? Nobody. Um, without, but like, for real though, like, without, with their, okay, obviously they are amazing anyway, but like, in in the context of the shows that they're praised for like yeah the so much of what works is that they are they have a, a strong cohesive chorus behind them and more importantly the chorus is a chorus they're not like mm-hmm. they're not trying to be in the spotlight they're trying to serve the purpose of the show yeah and they also know like everyone else's part like oh do you remember it was right when the music man like first came out and the swing stepped in for Sutton Foster mm-hmm. and she had like basically never done it before like that time on stage in front of a million not a million but a lot of people was the first time she had done it and this is like such a low bar but when Hugh Jackman when they did vows and he was like no 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 come back up here like swings are important I was like yes swings are important yes have you read about um T. Boyich from she was in Mean Girls Mean Girls I saw her when I saw Mean Girls it wasn't it wasn't Barrett Wilbur Weed yeah and it was it was her. her first time doing it I'm pretty sure so Oh, wait. Okay. So, so she, I don't, I don't, this is crazy if you were there for that night because her story is insane. She was a swing in Mean Girls and her Broadway debut was covering Barrett's role. And that wasn't a role that she covered. Like, I'm pretty sure she that's was, what we saw. She covered, um, Erica <laughs> Hennig, she covered like two of the plastics yeah. and, and Katie, yeah. but not, um, Janice. And she had to go Almost on like positive. unexpectedly last minute. And that was her Broadway debut. That was her first time ever on Broadway was for a role that she didn't even cover. Like, that's insane to me. I am pretty sure. No one told me it was Broadway debut, but I remember hearing people being like, this isn't, like, she's not. Yeah. So after that, she did end up covering it more, but like, she wasn't supposed to. That wasn't like originally part of her contract. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so shout out to Boyich, shout out yeah. to the swings and chorus people of yeah. Broadway who literally, ma- literally though, like, yeah. especially, like always, but especially the last year, oh um, year and yeah. a half, like Broadway could not exist without <laughs> yeah. swings, especially in a post, I, I, post pandemic as in after COVID hit. I'm not saying we're past pandemic. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> um, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, I I just really, um, I think that, like, A Chorus Line also introduced a new, like, it was almost like an anti-Broadway show of its time, where it was not a traditional musical. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, like, there aren't really, there's not, like, a lead or anything of A Chorus Line. It's it's about, like, a lot of individuals all fighting for, you know, the, like, the right to, at the beginning, it's like fighting for the right to even audition to audition. Mm-hmm. Then they're fighting for the right to audition to audition, and then to audition. Like <laughs> it's it's just this process of getting cut down. It shows how scary and cutthroat it is. And I think there's also a lot of like humanity. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is that I think the I'm going to give two sides to this, but I want to talk about the diversity, quote unquote. <laughs> um, on one <laughs> hand, I do want to give credit where it's due. I chorus line as non-diverse as it is today was a really diverse show for its time. If you haven't seen it, there's, I think four like characters of color. There's two Puerto Ricans. There's Connie who is um, Chinese Mm -hmm. and there's a black character, Richie. Um, And that was like revolutionary. I was reading. So like 
props to that for when it came out. Obviously, today that like would not fly <laughs> as as like a diverse cast. Didn't the two thousand six one like update? They it was a little more like blind, right? Like yes, Sheila yeah, yeah. And, like yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that productions now, I think that like obviously the characters who being a certain race or ethnicity yeah. is a part of their character. They're still cast like that. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone else is, is kind of like anyone that's kind of up for grabs. Yeah. yeah I, I was reading that like the actor who played the original actor who played, um, Oh my God. What's the, the male Puerto Rican guy's name? Paul, I think. I think pa- so. I'm Paul, not sure. I don't know. There's a lot of them. <laughs> um, yeah. Paul was saying how like that, this is it, at the time it was like the only nuanced role for mm-hmm. a latin american actor to play that especially for like a man there was i mean there was like anita and west side story but other than mm-hmm. that um there weren't really like nuanced characters and i think that paul is probably the most nuanced yeah. character we get like has a really difficult backstory it comes to terms with that on stage mm-hmm. ends up getting an injury that kind of like shows to everyone this could be you mm-hmm. like this could happen at any time um so like props to it for that I'm sure future iterations, and I know I know for sure future iterations are better. But yeah, I do think like I want to give credit where it's due for for like casting non-white actors on Broadway at a time where that mm-hmm. was absolutely not the norm. Yeah, that's awesome. How is that? Again, I haven't seen the movie in so long. Is the movie as diverse, or is it? Like- um, it's it's basically okay. it's like the exact same. It's okay. all white people, and then the four characters. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Darby, oh my god, I did not know. The actress <laughs> that plays Cassie in the movie is Miss Darbus in High School Musical. I also didn't know, okay, first of all, Terrence, um, Ter- what's his name? Terrence Mc- McMahon. Terrence Mann, um, the beast. Ter- yeah, Terrence yeah. Mann. Um, okay, first of all, I always am shocked when I see people that I only have known in their like late days, like in their 60 plus mm-hmm. days, see them when they're young. He has a Fine. He was a hot and was a, an amazing dancer. Yeah. Um. I He's also I saw him too, in Pippin. Um. He was in the Pippin revival. Uh. Yeah. The King King mm. Charles. Mm-hmm. I think. Um. Anyway, he was amazing. Like there are people that really really shine in this, and I think that like the individuals do great. I just think that some of the choice it just doesn't translate as well from the stage to yeah. the to the screen. Makes sense. Um. Yeah. That's pretty much my my thoughts on Chorus Line. Oh, there you go. Wow. Yeah. I was friend- We're getting so good at this. I feel like, you know, yeah, keeping it under an hour. To our listeners, we know our first couple episodes <laughs> this season were a little over t- the time we like to be at, but I think we pulled ourselves together. Yeah, we were just so excited, you know? We like, were. We it, like had a lot to say. Yeah. Um, and my recreate this week is also going to be kind of short. Um, I'm excited for both of ours. Yeah, it's going to be fun. But so I, it's going to be really short. I basically was like, I like how Tick, Tick, Boom is like sort of a compilation. The movie especially is like a compilation of like three Jonathan Larson shows, basically. Like mm-hmm. and Tick, Tick, Boom is the middle show and encompasses the other two because Tick, Tick, Boom is about superbia. And then Rent comes after. So you have Superbia, which was like, they're like, okay, good. But like almost made him give up because he gets that call from his agent. That's like, okay, like next. (laughs) And it almost makes him quit entirely. You know, he's like, fuck this. Gets a call from Stephen Sondheim, makes him feel better. And he's like, okay, let's make the next one. And it's tick, tick, boom, which I don't know if it was like, lauded at the time but I think did marginally better and he was able to get Mm -hmm. like it staged a little bit and then of course after he died people got it staged um in a different iteration and then after Tick Tick Boom comes the masterpiece which is which is Rent so I wanted to like take that structure and do it for another artist um and I decided to do Stephen Sondheim just because I am very on brand so um I'm going to name each of Steven's musicals in conjunction with Jonathan. So I'm going to figure out what's... <laughs> oh, you could guess, too. I'll, you can guess before I do it, but let me explain for a minute. So I'm going to do, like, su- the, his Superbia, his Tick, Tick, Boom, and then his Rent. And that's, like, how we're going to do it. So, like, the okay. middle show, whatever his Tick, Tick, Boom is, theoretically, would, like, encompass the whole thing. But yeah. it would have to be rewritten significantly for that to work. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, and then I'll give some like little context as to why. But do you want to guess? I bet you'll get it. Okay, right. is it? I bet it's Merrily for the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm gonna say Company for um for Tick Tick Boom, and then Sunday for Rent. No, actually. Oh. Um, so I was a little, and I tried to go like right in chronological order. Oh, so I was I, not thinking yeah. about order. So I think I did that. Um, but if I missed one, I apologize. But I think this still works. So. Merrily, we roll along, is his superbia. Um, so in 1981, it closed after 16 performances on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, superbia never got staged. And it's not exactly the same because I think people were like, oh, great job, John, with superbia. But they didn't think it was good enough to stage on Broadway, right? Like it was too esoteric. It's too weird. It's about like robots or something. Like I mean, it's hard to even tell. Um, and they were like, okay, next one. And for Sondheim, well, I think people love Merrily now. Um, at the time, I think a lot of the public reaction was like, ew, this mm-hmm. is weird. It's going backwards. Why is it doing that? Like, you know. Um, and very importantly, it caused him to almost quit. He was like, fuck this. I'm over this. Um, and the next show that he was convinced to write was Sunday in the Park with George, which mm. is like an artist struggle Okay, show, that you know. fits a lot better than Company yeah. Eyes. <laughs> and I don't mean to compare the two in quality, because Sunday is, like, legitimately um, the masterpiece to end all masterpieces. Um, but I like the idea, like, thematically, because right after Merrily, he's like, I'm done. And his friend, named Lapine, 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 I can never get that right, was like, no, like, don't give up. Like, you can do it. Don't, you got it. Like, you're good. And that's what Sondheim said to Jonathan Larson. <laughs> Um, but he basically was like, try writing this musical about this art piece. <laughs> and then they did it, <laughs> which is great. Um, and then right after Sunday in the Park with George, if I'm getting my timelines right, comes Into the Woods, which is probably his most popular yeah. work, which is, yeah. my, is Jonathan Larson's most popular work. So those are my three. That's how it would work in my Okay. Head. I like that. I like yeah. that. All right. I um, also asked you to do it, so you do it. <laughs> I feel like mine might be pretty obvious for me, okay. um, but my composer I chose is my modern Sondheim, which is Janine Tesori. Janine okay, yeah. <laughs> so I'm saying that her Superbia is Violet, um, which yeah. is a fun show, but like not really critically acclaimed by yeah. any means. That her Tick, Tick, Boom, it doesn't have the same, like, self-referentialness that Sunday and Tick, Tick, Boom have, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to say her Tick, Tick, Boom is thoroughly modern Millie. Um, And then I'm going to say that her rent, what I want to say is Shrek, but what I will actually say is Fun Home. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I think that works. That's good. All right. Thank you for participating in my experience. Of course. Thanks for giving me some homework. Yeah. <laughs> and that took, that literally took me five seconds. seconds. Like <laughs> the second you asked, I was like, okay, I already know. <laughs> for my recreate, I was trying to think of what like a modern chorus day could look like. And honestly, while things have obviously changed in some ways in show business, um, Overall, I think it's just as competitive and exhausting of a process as it was back then. And I honestly don't think it would be that different today. So I kind of scratched that. So then I started thinking about like, oh, I I started thinking about like when I was watching Chorus Line this time, I was kind of relating it to, if you don't know, I was recently on the job hunt for like five months um, and how the feeling of auditioning is really similar to being put like on the spot in a job interview where you like not only have to prove yourself, but you're also doing it on the spot where there's like an uncomfortable power dynamic and where rejection is the most likely outcome um, just by like the sheer numbers game. So for my recreate, I wanted to think through kind of an anti-chorus line show. Um, So it's, it's not about show business. And because of that, it's not, the point of it is not that about the individuals that make up the group. It's kind of flipped on its head. It's like the group and going towards the individual section. So, um, that, and that's because in, in this, like only one person gets the job at the end. It's not like a group that then has to perform together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think it'd be funny to like incorporate like Zoom interviews and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so anyway, 
I'm gonna like signpost some important chorus line moments and redo them to be about like interviewing for corporate positions. Oh my god! Uh, so I have five songs that I'm kind of just like either changing the name and talking about how it's different, or keeping the name and talking about how it's different. So um, I hope I get it. The opener. I want to keep that name. And my big director creative decision here is that I want to keep the mirrors, but. Instead of them being at the back of the stage, I want everyone to be separated by mirrors so that wherever they're looking, they only see themselves oh. in, in this. And they, like, are se- physically separated from everyone else. Uh-huh. Um, so this in this, they all sing about, like, how they hope they get the job, the difference it would make in their lives. <laughs> and that's when you kind of start to pan out some of their individual story arcs. Mm-hmm. So then we move into I Can Do That. So this would still be called that. And this would be in the same way that a chorus line that's kind of like an overachieving, like, look at all the dance stuff I can do. It's someone who's like very much a nerdy office overachiever and is kind of like, I can do that in reference to his resume and his qualifications and um, like Microsoft Excel. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's, it's very, um, what's the song from Putnam? I speak six languages. Speak six. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's very that, like, yeah. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this is my favorite. It's I'm, it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> but at the ballet becomes at the valet. <laughs> and it's three people discussing their shitty lived experiences at the valet. But the kicker is they're all different valets. So, though... <laughs> this is so dumb, Sammy. <laughs> so... One of them, so it's basically like about their previous jobs and why they want to move into this new job. Okay. So the first one was like an actual valet person. Like they were taking people's cars and uh-huh. parking them. The second one works at Valet Bank, which is like a, I don't know if you know Valley Bank. Like it's one of okay. it's a yeah. credit union vibe. <laughs> and the third one was in Jersey Boys. So like Frankie Valet. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so it's like all their shitty jobs, but how they why they want to be in this new one. But they sing Frankie at the ballet. ballet. <laughs> okay. Like, it's a stretch, but it works. <laughs> it's a big stretch. Next one is Dance Ten Looks Three. I don't have a new name for it, but the vibe would be very similar, but except it's a woman talking about like gender-based discrimination in the workplace and kind mm-hmm. of how she has to work twice as hard for half the credit and would involve like how her, you know, performance review scores are always really high, but is is basically not succeeding as much mm-hmm. because of her gender. And then the last, obviously we have to close on one. But instead of this being, like, one, like, we are all one, this one big group, they all sing about how there's only one job opening. Um, and then at the end, I really like this, at the end, so they're all separated by their mirrors, you see them all, and they all get a call at the same time, and then one of them kind of does, like, a Hamilton star pose or oh. something like that, you know, they're, like, to indicate that they got it, the yeah. spotlight goes on them, and then the lights go down. Um, and that's how the show ends. And I'd want that part to be an homage to the original, original chorus line that didn't make it to Broadway, mm-hmm. which, um, if you didn't know, the, the the eight actors or the eight dancers that were chosen used to be different every night. Like, that was the point of it, was that they oh. didn't always choose the same ones. It was like, any, any of them got it that particular night, wow. and apparently, like, the costumers object, they were like, we can't do this. Like, <laughs> it, I don't know what the, if they had a specific costume or something, but... They, that was it was like a logistical reason that they uh-huh. didn't do that. That's so but in this version, I'd want the person who gets the yes call to be different every night. Oh, I love that. So that's um that's um a chorus line X. What's that working musical? Working the musical, I think. Work, are you talking about Working Girl? No, there's a musical called like Work or Working. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I think it's like Steven Schwartz. Like I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah, working. It's working. called Working the Musical by Nina Faso and Stephen Schwartz. Oh my god, it's I not very good. The Working Day, <laughs> the Working Line. <laughs> yeah, the Working yeah. Line. <laughs> well, there we go. That was a good up. That yeah, was that was nice. fun. Artist struggle. That's the moral of the story. Um, do you want to preview next week? Yeah, I think I have it. <laughs> I don't have it pulled up, but I think I know what it is. Um. So next week's episode is, the category is Guided by Riches. Ooh. So do with that what you will. It's, I, I don't think it's a stretch. 
It's true. Um, but we never we'll said the main character was guided by riches. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> riches are somebody a north star in some sense yes. for some characters or somebody. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at RateDebate1. Promise to post there soon. <laughs> you can follow us <laughs> on Instagram and TikTok at RateDebateRecreate. So give us a shout. Yeah, please give us a follow. And also, um, stop what you're doing right now and please rate us five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. And if you don't want to give us five stars, please just don't rate us at all. <laughs> no, please. There's no reason for you to <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, live your truth, but, like, we really be craving those five-star ratings these days. Oh, my gosh, that's true. We officially have made $10 now um, after three seasons, so we're close to being able to do this full-time, and just a few more five-star ratings will push us, you know, to get our 15th dollar. We are guided by riches now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, Well, I'll see you guys. We'll see you guys next week. We'll see you. I I hope I'm there. (laughs) You'll be there. Oh, my gosh. Bye. Bye.